Would you pray together with me? And gracious Heavenly Father, we confess we have come here together as we do each and every week willingly, Lord. Uh, it, it, it is an act of free will. We decide to come here. For some, Lord, it may become a casual sort of thing, for we have nothing else to do. But, Lord, among all the things that, that are in our lives, we need to be here, and so we come. But even more than that, Lord, we come in obedience to your claim in our lives. And, and, and Lord, as we are here, and as we have worshipped, and as we have sung, and as we have opened our hearts before you, Lord, uh, we declare that, that we are yours and, Lord, are willing to serve you in obedience to that claim and to your bidding in our lives. So, Lord, I pray that you would elevate that commitment that we have made for you this morning and that, Lord, as we hear from, our word, from your word, we might know that it is your intention to, to turn us into the men and women of God and then, Lord, use us as the men and women of God in a world that needs to know you. This I pray in the powerful and the wonderful name of the one who loved us and gave himself for us, and that is Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. Amen. Years and years ago, I worked at Wheaton College, a Christian university in the United States, and I had a few students who were on scholarship through the U.S. Army. And uh, they would actually spend their summer times uh, going through basic training in various military camps. And, 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 and the, 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 I had one student in particular uh, who returned with a, with a really good story, and I'll never forget it. Uh, he went to Fort Bragg in the Carolinas to train with the 82nd Airborne. And, and from the very beginning, the greeting that he got, even when they, he just got off the bus... Uh, was uh, a, a simple command from the drill instructor. He said, jump! <laughs> and they, they, they jumped. And, uh, and, and, and then from that point on, any time and any place, the command then was constantly being given, jump. And they would jump. And if they didn't, and, 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 and if, well, they'd have to obey another order that would come to them. Drop and give me a hundred. And so they learned to, drum, uh, to jump rather than do a hundred. And so whenever it was, uh, it was, you know, in, in, in the middle of a meal, in the middle of the night, the drill instructor would say, jump, and they would simply jump. It, it's the type of stuff that really makes for, 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 for a fun camp, doesn't it? Uh, you know, you, you, you look forward to that. But my, my student told me the value of that particular exercise. When it finally came time that he was standing in the doorway of a perfectly good airplane at 8 thousand feet off the ground, staring out into space with a parachute strapped tight to his back, all it took was really just one word for him to respond. He heard it, jump, and he did. (laughs) He didn't have to think about it, he just jumped. And ultimately, the command had become part of his character. The daily regimen of discipline and obedience had produced an ability to respond intuitively in the face of a tremendous challenge and prevail. Now, I cannot help but think of that particular story as I look at the Gospel of Luke. This Gospel is a powerful portrait of Jesus Christ living out the love of God. And the key verse of the Gospel, you may remember, of the Gospel of Luke is chapter 19, verse 10. And it describes the love of Jesus Christ as that of a son who came to seek and to save the lost. And 
And the gospel records his fulfillment of that mission of rescue. But even as the gospel unfolds, it becomes clear that that same mission then now belongs to everyone who would be called by his name, who would belong to him, and that is disciples. That's the name of those who are called by his name. We are disciples. Your name is disciple. My name is disciple. We are the ones who are under the command of the Great Commission given by Jesus Christ, our Lord, to go into all the world and make even more disciples of Jesus Christ. Disciples. Those are the ones who were really gathered around Jesus Christ and, 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 and in their gathering were then trained and ready for his command. Disciples, they are the ones who, when they heard the word jump, would jump. I want you to join with me as we return to this Gospel of Luke at the beginning of chapter 12, because there we read in the very first verse that something had been happening around Jesus. It says there, when a crowd of many thousand had gathered, so many that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. The ones in whom already were beginning to, was beginning to beat a heart to obey. So I want you to understand the setting here. The ministry tour of Jesus Christ had generated so much interest and so much of a following that literally thousands were beginning to show up. No publicity, no advertising campaign. They just came, and they came with abandon. And you see it here. They're trampling one another. They're stepping all over each other. And now along the way, Jesus had also specifically enlisted people into his presence. He enlisted 12 to be his apostles. And by this time, the band around Jesus had grown actually to about 72 people. We get that number in Luke chapter 10, 72. And by this time, they had all assumed certain duties and responsibilities that you would expect of this loyal band. Uh, duties like crowd control, you know, maintenance, food, all that other stuff that goes into it. And, and, and they were managing the context between Jesus and the crowd. And at first, it would have been a manageable job, but by Luke 12, you can imagine the thoughts that were flowing through these disciples as they are about to be overwhelmed by, by the world, by this rowdy crowd of thousands, a multitude, actually, in some translations it is called. And I mean, imagine Peter, you know, Jesus had told him that he would be a fisher of men, but looking at this crowd now as it's, as beginning to, 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 to pile up on them, uh, it, it was almost like he was being told to sail his boat into the middle of a shark feeding frenzy. He didn't expect that. Maybe a fisher of men on a single little line, but now suddenly he's overwhelmed by all the, that, that, that his, his, his obedience to Jesus had begun to mean. But he would do it because he had a heart to obey. They would all do it because they were, as the verse says, they were disciples of Jesus Christ. They would do it, but the question is, would they do it with the love, the same love of the one whom they served, Jesus Christ? Would they do it with the love of Jesus Christ? That is what is at heart here. And and why, in the face of the multitude, he hits the pause button before they go any further in order to train them so that it wouldn't be something that they would do, but but something that they, they, they would love to do. And they would do it again and again and again and again, and it would carry them into their future of life. 
that they, they would develop a, a, an intuitive response that would become a natural part of their life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So you get the context of that. Please keep it in mind. He is issuing commands here, commands that count to his disciples. Commands that were any of us to take them to heart would in fact galvanize the impact that we would have in our world and would in fact give substance to the message that our lives carry each and every moment of the day. Now in your sermon outline, I've listed three commands that are to be found here in these first 12 verses. The first command is that integrity must be found in you at all times. Listen to Jesus as he says here, Be on guard, your guard, against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in your ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I want you to linger just on one word there that kind of pops out of that sentence, and it's the word hypocrisy. It it, it is, I, I, I... fully admit, a very sour word. It leaves a foul taste in your mouth. Hypocrisy, a fake. It's a word that comes from the ancient Greek, which described then stage actors who would hide themselves behind elaborate masks in order to play out their roles. They were called, the Greek word, hypocrites, hypocrites. And everybody knew that they were just actors, they were fakes, and that they were busy on stage deceiving people into believing that they were something that they weren't. Now, that may be acceptable in a stage performance, but according to Jesus, our life is not an act. Our faith is not a stage performance to be played for a select audience, but is in fact to be a living reality which is played out not on a stage, but is to be lived out in every corner of our lives. And even if you thought you could get away with the act, with the hypocrisy, the fact is you can't. Look back at the verse. Jesus likens hypocrisy to yeast. The yeast of the Pharisees, he calls it. And some of them may have translated as leaven, or yeast or leaven. And the idea is that just a little grain of it has a way of then permeating your whole body. You can't control it. You can't contain it. You can't limit its effect. And those of you who are bakers, and I love German bakeries, uh, those of you who are bakers know that just a pinch of yeast added to a lump of dough (laughs) is pervasive. It affects everything. You cannot control its impact. And that's how it is with hypocrisy. You can't select when or where you are going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You can't think to yourself, I'll be a disciple at church, or I'll be a disciple at home, but when it comes to my neighbors, or when I get to work, I'll, or go to school, I'm going to take a break. Listen, if you fake it at work, or at school, or anywhere else, eventually, you'll find yourself faking it everywhere you go, because it is out of control. That's what he means when he says, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden, that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ears, in the inner rooms, will be proclaimed from the rooftops. (laughs) Now, I got to tell you, this is the stuff that makes really for life's most embarrassing moments. I'm sure you've probably heard stories like this, but this actually happened to me, and... 
is emblazoned in my memory and causes me to shake just about every Sunday, and you'll, under, you'll understand why. It was the summer of 1980, and uh, I had just become the pastor of the Prospect Heights Baptist Church, and, and I, I was going to be performing my first wedding. It was the first wedding I was going to perform as a pastor in that church, and one of the men in the congregation owned an electronic shop, and, and, and he was thrilled because he had gotten his hands on a brand new invention that no one had ever actually seen before. It was called the remote microphone. Yeah. And he was thrilled to set me up with it as an experiment to free me, and he did it about an hour before the service. I had never seen such a thing, and he didn't bother to tell me that there was an on and off switch to it. And so I I went on for about 55 minutes, about five minutes before the wedding ceremony, and Usher actually came into my office. And when he walked in, he had his fingers to his lips, like, and he walked up to me, and he reached down, and he switched off the mic. Everything that I had said for the previous 55 minutes, everything I had done for the previous 55 minutes had been going through the sound system in the congregation and the church. From visiting the men's room to joking with the grooms and his buddies, making stupid cracks that I've learned not to make in public anymore. There was nothing concealed. Uh, Everything that was heard in the daylight was proclaimed from the rooftops. It's the first wedding I ever did with a paper bag over my head. But there was no place to hide. And it was only by the grace of God that I was allowed then to pastor that church for ten more years. But it became a lesson that I would never, ever forget. And one that just jumps off the page from the Gospel of Luke. Which raises the question, what if it were you? What if, as a test of of discipleship here in church this morning, we would, before you leave this place, hook you up with a microphone just for the rest of the day. Or maybe, no, let's, let's make it for the rest of this week. Uh, and then let's, let's make it for the rest of this month and make it a test of your integrity. It's a pretty convicting thought, isn't it? The first lesson of an obedient heart is a matter, really, of character. Character that is defined by an integrity where you are determined to be a whole person. The same person in front of the world as you are in private. The same in front of others as you are before Jesus Christ. And with the discipline of such a heart, it becomes galvanized in in a daily answering of the question, am I determined to be a man of God? So so much so that I am no longer different, I'm no different in the pulpit than when I am sharing coffee with a friend at Tim Hortons or just walking my dog alone in the neighborhood. Am I wholly a disciple of Jesus Christ? It's a question you ask. Someone has said the character is what you are when no one else is looking. A disciple's character is defined by a heart of integrity at all times. 
And then there is a second command that comes, and it is one that, that revolves around a particular word, the word fear. The word fear is peppered really between verses 4 through 7, and listen to what it says. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after killing the body has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now here, Jesus seems to make our fears really a matter of choice when he says, I will show you whom to fear. You have a choice. You, you, can, you can fear men or you can fear God. I will show you whom to fear. You can fear men, you can fear God. Men can, at their worst, kill your body. But God is the one who holds the destiny of your soul. Keep this in mind. When Jesus wrote these words, he knew what was already in store for each of the disciples. Imprisonment, beatings, torture, and eventual martyrdom. All things, good causes for fear terrify you if you ever to be told. But I want you to notice two words that appear here in this passage. The first is the word fear, and the other is the word afraid. Be afraid. Be afraid. And it may sound like I'm making a subtle distinction, so I'd I'd like you to think of it this way. Fear is the ability to recognize a force larger than yourself and something that overwhelms you. That's fear. The ability to recognize. Being afraid, however, is acting out on your fear. And choosing then to surrender or retreat or even deny what you know to be true. There's a big difference between those two. Look, it's one thing to recognize this threat, a threat. It's only natural. Fearful things do stand before us, but it's another thing to allow the threats to affect the course of our lives, especially when it comes down to obedience to our Lord. With these simple words, Jesus takes his disciples right back into basic training to prepare them for the battlefield of fear that would await them with an order for them to choose courage instead. And a wide-eyed courage that can measure what is overwhelming and not retreat. And instead, move through it with confidence. And, and, And that is precisely what Jesus describes in the next verses. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid, for you are worth more than many sparrows. Now that comes right on the heels of Jesus saying that we should fear God. And this added illustration redefines fear from from some sort of cowering phobia uh, into a matter of awe, which in fact the fear of God truly is. Recognizing that which is overwhelming and being overwhelmed by the vision of his majesty. The fear of God is something majestic, And, as he describes it here, even something gentle and full of care. Imagine this, sparrows and strands of hair. If God is so attentive to such things that are so small and they are yet so special to him, then you can be courageous 
and confident knowing who it is who loves you and has you at heart. Not too long ago, I I saw a little phrase that I love. It says this, The one who kneels before God is able then to stand before all men. Absolutely. Let me repeat that again. That's a great little phrase. The one who finds themselves capable of kneeling before God also finds themselves able to stand before all men. Absolutely. The best way to conquer the fears that we face in life, which are real, is then to expand our fear of God. And maybe modifying this command from the airborne basic boot camp, we should start by saying, kneel and then kneel. Kneel and then kneel. Again and again and again. So that we can jump when he says jump. Two commands already given. One, live with a thoroughgoing integrity. Second, do not be afraid. Fear God with courage. One more. Look at verse 8. There he says, I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of God will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. <laughs> now, now, I know, I fully accept the fact that for many this is a controversial passage. But I, I, I do not want to get sucked into the trap of a, of a theological debate about unforgivable sins and what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. I fully appreciate the temptation to fixate, really, just on those, that little phrase. But, but if it helps, it, it does, that little phrase does not stand alone. It is, it is given in context. So instead, what I'd like you to do is, in fact, focus your eyes on the, on the context, not only the whole passage, but this particular command. And it lies upon the first words that matter the most. And there he says, acknowledge Jesus before the world. Simple as that. Acknowledging Jesus before the world is the simplest way to display your faith, and all the basic dynamics are there. You don't have, you don't have to have a theological degree to acknowledge Jesus as the Lord of your life. You don't have to memorize all sorts of arguments to prove that Jesus is capable of changing your life. Your life is a living acknowledgement of Jesus Christ which stands before all men. You don't have to wait for a moment or a stage or a microphone or a platform to let it be known. The opportunity is as simple as your everyday conversations that you have with everyone you meet to acknowledge Jesus before humanity, that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Ah, but you might ask yourself, what about disowning Jesus? Why would even th- anyone even think to disown Jesus? And you probably already know the answer. It is a matter of fear. Peter felt it when he denied Christ during his trial. And you, in fact, may feel it whenever friends you know will sneer at you when they hear that you go to church or and, and, and when they do, you find yourself somewhat tempted to say, yeah, well, you know, my mom made me or my dad made me. And then they respond to you by saying, yeah, but you're 60 years old. <laughs> you know, I, how does that work, you know? 
But the fact is, you think to yourself, I don't want to be seen as a freak, or I don't feel up to the challenge of, of being sneered at. But the fact is, the Holy Spirit is the one who is at work in your life and is the one who gives you the power to step it up and to take a stand. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers you to live up to your name, which is disciple of Jesus Christ. And all you are being asked to do is respond with a heart of obedience and a heart that beats just like Jesus. So there we have it, three commands. And all three together serve to empower us in the great adventure of following Jesus Christ with integrity, with with courage, and with our confession. Jump, jump, jump. Learn it, love it, live it. Especially because a moment is going to come when you will need to have the force of all three to take that step out the door. And look at verse 11. You'll see that all three then collide into a moment of opportunity. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Notice that Jesus says here, when and not if. The time will come. And here in Luke, the disciples were destined to stand trial before hostile forces, And the door would open, and the command would be given by Jesus himself. They had already heard it. Go into all the world and make disciples. And the same is true for us right now. You, me, and all of us who would carry the name of Christ. The only question is, are we prepared? The time to prepare is now. Back in the beginning, when the drill instructor told the recruits to jump, they jumped. They hopped their way through lunch. They hopped their way through the barracks. They hopped their way. I would like to think that when that massive time came and the command was given and they left the aircraft, it served as a lesson to us as well. And I would like to think that in obedience to Jesus Christ, Given all of this, what we do together in worship and how we pray and how we hear his word and then take it to heart, that at that moment in time, all Jesus would have to do is say to us, jump, and we would fly. This is his desire for you, man and woman of God. Would you pray with me? So, gracious Heavenly Father, even as we willingly have come here this morning, that will is also an act of obedience, and we give ourselves to you in obedience to your claim in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us, that you would train us, that, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, you would strengthen us in that training so that, Lord, with confidence and with integrity and with courage, We might go into all the world being the man or the woman that you've meant us to be from the beginning of time, carrying that wonderful name, the name in which we pray, the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And in his name we pray.
Amen.